you to imagine something with me. Imagine the most exciting thing that has ever happened to you has just happened. The most exciting thing or the most important thing. I mean, maybe it's even you just discovered the cure for cancer. You know what it is. You've got it down. You know how to cure that cancer. But here's the problem. Suddenly, you can't speak. And you can't use your hands. And you're kind of glued to your seat. So you, so you over there, you're, you're stuck over there. You've got the cure for cancer. You've got it. But you can't talk about it. And they need it over here. But you're over there, and you can't get over here, and you can't shout across the room, so what do you do? That's the problem that a lot of our churches are facing. And a lot of the countries that we are in right now, we are in a lot of creative access countries, which means that they can't openly talk about the greatest thing that has ever happened to them, right? The greatest thing in the whole world that has ever happened to these people, and a lot of them can't talk about it. They can't get the message out. So what do they do? Well, that's when people like me step into the picture. The church will send me, the region, over here to get your story. And I'll take that message and I'll bring it over here so that you can hear it. In a nutshell, that's what a media missionary does. And I think I asked this question a year and a half ago, but I'm going to ask it again. Do you know who the first media missionary was in the Bible? He was the first person to take a message, to put it in a format that could be shared, a medium, and he gave it to the rest of the people. Do you know who that was? Moses. Let me put it to you a different way. I love this joke. Some people roll their eyes. I think it's hilarious. He was the first person to download data from the cloud and put it onto his tablet. (laughs) I love that joke. But that's a really lofty goal. Moses, I don't like to liken myself to Moses because he did a lot of other awesome things that I could never do. So I have to think further along. What does it actually mean? There's this big fancy word called amanuensis. That's your fancy word for the day. Amanuensis. And it's just a really fancy way of saying scribe or a literary or creative assistant. So these are the people who when David had to compose a psalm, when he had something to say, a song, a beautiful poem, he would say it out loud and he'd have a little scribe off here in the corner writing it down and duplicating it and sending it out to other people. Paul, they, the theory is that Paul couldn't see very well, so he couldn't write very well. And they think that he had a scribe coming with him. So when he had a letter, he would dictate that letter to the scribe, who would write it down and send it off. So that's kind of what I do. Now, I serve in the Eurasia region, which is all of Europe, the former Soviet Union, South Asia, and the Middle East. There's two and a half billion people in our region, 127 languages, and thousands of WEF projects, world evangelism projects, and church plants and churches. And we have several creative access countries. And again, those are countries where I can't actually tell you their names, and I can't tell you how we're in them because it's very dangerous to be Christian in a lot of these countries. So a year and a half ago, you guys sent me out to go start in the Eurasia region. I had been in the Asia-Pacific region, and then I moved over to Eurasia, doing the same thing, media missions. For those of you who don't remember, I started out at Olivet Nazarene University. 
And that's where I felt a call to missions. And when I heard that call, I freaked out a little bit because I didn't know what that meant. God said, I want you to be a missionary. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. I was like, I can't do that. Because I think when I think missionary, I think someone who goes and, and preaches or plants a church or is a doctor or is a teacher, you know, someone who lives in a hut in the jungles of Africa. That's what I thought of when I thought missionary. So I was like, God, I can't do those things. And I'll be honest, I was a little afraid of being in a hut in Africa with no electricity and all the bugs. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And God's like, no, no, no. Calm down. I want you to get your degree, which was in media, and go be a missionary. It's like, oh, I can do that. That's pretty cool. So that's how my journey started. And we're just now getting into the full time. I've been doing short-term missions that have been lengthening. I started at four months, then six months, then a year, which turned into 13 months. And now I'm going to go back full time. That's the goal. So I go out and I capture stories. And you guys helped me to do it. And I love coming to churches and being able to share, okay, this is what you did with your help, because you guys supported me. You prayed for me. You supported me financially. So with your help, this past year, we did a lot of work in England. We did a lot of work in Ukraine, Moldova, Portugal, and Bangladesh. And we produced 12 videos, and we started four web series that are going to be continued once I go back. Which doesn't, may not sound like a whole lot of work, but trust me, that's a lot of work. And you guys did that. We had media that was shown at the, um, I can't think of the name, every four years. Thank you. General Assembly. We had two, no, four. We had four videos that were shown at General Assembly that you guys were a part of. You did that. You guys found a message stuck somewhere else in another country that couldn't get out. And we grabbed it. And we put it on a video. And we sent it out. Coming up in June, we are slated to release four videos on what's been happening in Ukraine. It's a really cool story, and I'm so excited to share that with you. But it's not done yet. It's coming soon. When I first got to the field, we had a stack of about five projects that needed to be finished. They were all filmed but they all needed to be processed and edited and put together. So that's some of the first things that I worked on. And that's one of the videos that I'm going to show to you today so that you can see what's going on. I'm going to be really honest. I was a bad Nazarene. I didn't know what faith promise really meant until I started getting into this stuff. I didn't know what World Evangelism Fund was. I was like, what does that actually do? I have no idea. And then I realized, wait a second... That's what's touching all these stories that I'm going to. So in Bangladesh, we were there to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the church in Bangladesh. They've been there for 25 years, and they are thriving. And it's exciting. And they're thriving because of programs like the World Evangelism Fund. That's because of you. So all the things we're talking about here today is because of you. Because we are a united global church. You are not just the Church of the Nazarene here in Medina. You're part of the Church of the Nazarene that touches Bangladesh, and that touches Portugal, and that touches these creative access countries. That's you. Why does it matter? Have you ever wondered that? I've wondered that a lot, too. 
Why does it matter? Why do we have to give to something like World Evangelism Fund or Faith Promise? Why does it matter that I am a media missionary? Why should I go out and film? Because on our region, there's two of us right now. And one of us, me, is here. And by the time I get back, the second one is going to be ready to leave. So it's going to be back down to one of us. Two videographers on our region. Why does it matter? And I asked this question a couple months ago while I was up talking in front of a church, which always gets me in trouble because I ask these questions and I don't have the answer. So God gives me the answer while I'm up here on stage. So I kind of process it like right in front of your face. But I asked that question. I was like, God, why does it matter? And he's like, have you seen the media that's out there right now? I was like, oh. I don't know about you. I'm a millennial. So all of that's kind of up front and in my face. You know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on all of those social media things. And I look at all the media. And when I think media now, I think fake news, you know, CNN. I think of all of these ridiculous stories that are out there that are really depressing. Have you ever felt depressed by the media that's out there right now? Because, I read some of these things, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. God, I don't know what to do with this. Truth has become this subjective, abstract mess. My generation, the generation after me, Generation Z, we don't have a solid rock to stand on anymore. Do you get that? We don't have a solid rock of truth to stand on anymore because the media is telling us it's whatever makes you feel good. Well, what if what makes me feel good is to hurt someone else? Well, then they're, then they're a victim, and then we need to just, whatever makes them feel good. Well, what about this person over here? So it's, it's this shifting sand that, that my generation is standing on right now, and it's scary. You can't rely on anything anymore. You can't rely on gender. You can't rely on, gosh, I can't even think of other things right now. That's the big one that's on my mind. If I can't rely on what gender you were born with, well, gosh, what is true? What is real? I know I got a little political there. I'm sorry. So I look at all of this that's going on. I go, God, what do I do? I have friends who don't like to be alone in a room because they don't want to hear their own thoughts in their head because there's nothing for them to stand on. And I know that's not just the U.S. That's happening all over Europe. It's happening all over the world. What do we stand on? How do I handle that? And God goes, well, duh, that's why I put you into media missions. I go, oh, okay. You speak truth. So how do you speak truth if you're stuck here in Medina and there's something else going on that you need to speak into? How do you do that? How do you do that when you feel like you can't say anything? You send people like me to go out to share those stories because you're a part of that. That's your action that you are doing to spread truth and hope. That's how the Nazarene church works. It's like inception. It's like Nazception. Layer on layer on layer on layer of all what God is doing. And it starts at the bottom with someone being bold enough to talk about truth. And then on top of that layer comes another layer of more stories and more truth and more hope. And then comes the layer of World Evangelism Fund that steps in and says, okay, we see you've got this light. We see you've got this hope. Let's come alongside you and lift you up. And then from that layer, it goes on to another layer of reaching more people now. 
So this video, it's a Creative Access Country video, so I'm not going to tell you the name of it. We're going to call the woman in the video Yana. And there's a couple things I want you to notice. I want you to notice the layer that's underneath Yana. We don't know much about this, this people that she talked to, except that she saw them on a bus in this country where it's illegal to talk about Jesus. And they were talking about Jesus. That's layer number one. There's actually a layer underneath that if you really want to get technical. That's layer number one. So I want you to try to catch that when we watch this video. Also, when you're watching this video, you did it. You made me do this. This video. It's from you. This is one of the first projects I worked on when I got to the region. So it's one of the projects that you had a direct hand in making, which is pretty cool. Before I accepted Jesus as my savior, I was a... like kind of wizard, and did that for many, many years. For eight years, Yana was a shaman of her religion and practiced witchcraft. She began learning how to become a shaman when she was 32 years old. The leaders of the sect would take her to a graveyard, and they would lie down on the graves and call on the spirits to imbue them with power. Yana began learning witchcraft when she had gone to a shaman to be healed of an illness. She was told that she had special spirits in her and that if she wanted to be healed, she must join shamanism or else she would never recover from her illness. At that time, I really thought that it was the right thing to do. and uh, But of course, after I accepted Jesus, I realized that it was wrong. Towards the end of her days as a shaman, Yana was experiencing unhappiness. Throughout their marriage, her husband was an alcoholic and had recently fallen ill. Three of her daughters had gone through divorce. She was searching for answers. And then, one day, while riding a bus, she overheard a conversation that changed her life. I got on the bus and I heard two uh, women speaking about uh, a girl who used to be a prostitute and she accepted some Jesus and uh, after she accepted him her life uh, changed completely. So I turned to these women and I asked them, um, is it true? Is it really true? I heard that Jesus was just a prophet. The women invited Yana to tea. And it was there that they prayed for her and her family with more care than Yana had expected, and she was deeply touched by their concern. They also explained that she was not praying to God and that she had been bowing down to idols. And at that moment I decided to do it, decided to accept Jesus, though I didn't uh, fully knew if it was really true. But I thought, if God really doesn't like what I'm doing, that then maybe I should try and accept Jesus. That day I came home and I took all the things that are used for wizard crafts and burned it. <laughs> yes, it was hard for me to do this. Um, I had like some doubts, but uh, I, like I felt I had to do this and I thought about uh, sufferings of Jesus, how he suffered for me. After I burned all those things, I was, I felt real freedom and happiness and joy and I started singing at home and just like wanted to fly because I had so much joy and happiness. 
Since that very day, I started worshiping a God and writing songs to Him. After she had dedicated her life to Jesus, Yana's life began to improve. Her husband was healed of cancer, and their marriage flourished. He became a Christian and was freed from his addiction to alcohol. So we have a big problem that in our villages there's、um, a lot of persecutions、uh, against Christians. But in spite of all this,、uh, we are、uh, flourishing in Jesus. The most important thing is that I want to praise God that He found me in that place and He came to me and He saved me. I would like to say to all of、uh, my sisters and brothers in Christ in the whole world that、uh, in spite of the fact that life is difficult, we have to follow、uh, Jesus、uh, because He said that、uh, first we have to search for God's kingdom, and、uh, the rest will be given to us. I want to、uh, tell everyone who hears me now that no matter what difficulties、uh, you're experiencing in your life now, give them to the Lord, and He will、uh, be with you, and He will help you. So that was your fault. I just love this story. I love Yana. A, she's just adorable. Like she's the cutest little old lady I've ever seen. And she's got this whole like grill going on in the bottom of her teeth. She writes worship music and she she sings an acapella and it's in this language I don't even know what the language is, but it's haunting and it's beautiful. So the Nazception in this story, bottom layer, really is the prostitute that found Jesus. This is a very dark country to be in. There's not a lot of hope in this place. But this woman, and I don't know her story. I don't know how she found Jesus, but she found him. She said, "There's hope there, and I want it." And she grabbed it, and she started a spark. And that spark passed on to these other two ladies. And I don't know their story either. We don't have any of their details. But those two ladies said, "This is something that's really interesting. I want to talk about it." So they talked about it in a place where it's illegal to be a Christian. They were on a pub- in a bus on a public place. Talking about Jesus, and then this woman over here, the next layer up, Yana, who is a witch. Like that doesn't happen. We don't have those sorts of things that we hear about here in the states. When's the last time you heard about that? Like this is a major thing in her culture. She practiced witchcraft, and she heard about this one moment, this one spark, two layers down. She said, "I want that." What she was living in, her life was not enough. She was depressed. Her husband was depressed. He had cancer. They were getting ready to divorce.、And、she's like, "I need something else. I need some hope." And she saw it two layers down, and she grabbed it. What you don't hear in this story is the next layer up. All the shots. When we sent a team in to get these stories, they weren't allowed to leave her house because it would have been too dangerous. If the government had seen them filming outside of her house, they'd have been like, "What are you doing? Why are you filming?" So it was too dangerous. So all those shots you see of her with a church—that's in her house. So she became a Christian. Her husband became a Christian. Her daughters became Christians, and then they were driven out of their house in their village. The village came in and said, "No, you can't do this." So they left. 
But where they moved to, they built a massive building to live in. And they started a church. There's probably about as many people are here today are as many people are that are in her home church. And that's when Faith Promise steps in and says, okay, we see what you're doing here. We want to come alongside you. So churches like that get support, which is what you do. It's your fault that the spark continues. And then there's another layer to this. So she's got this home church that's thriving. And her niece became a Christian. Now here's why that's significant. Her niece, who runs a homeless shelter, is also the police commissioner in their city, where it's illegal to be a Christian. She's a, she's a Christian now. Do you see all of those layers? It all started from one spark, one story that was told about hope and Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty relevant in our culture here. I mean, if you're wondering what you can do, how you can join this, this is all part of our church, you guys. She's part of our family. We could walk into her church tomorrow and have the same message, the same Jesus being preached there that's being preached here. She's a part of our family. And you guys have supported her through faith promise, through missionaries, through prayer. So if you're wondering what you can do to continue those things, because those are very typical stories of what happens all over the world. I mean, the flavor is always a little bit different wherever you go, but it always starts with that spark. So what can you do? Obviously, you can pray. And there's so many different things you can pray for. For me in my ministry, we need prayer for more workers on the field. And we need more prayer for the places that we go to. Because we go into some of these places that are a little bit dangerous and a little bit... Well, when you're walking in with a whole suitcase full of filming gear, people tend to look at you funny. (laughs) So we need prayer for safety. We need prayer that we find the right stories at the right time so that the right people can hear them. That's what my team needs prayer for right now. I mean, there's a thousand and one other things you could pray for, but that's, that's where we'll start for today. And then you can give. That's why we have faith promise. That's why I'm up here today, and that's why we're talking about this. It's faith promise. World Evangelism Fund. But you offering your help, even if it's not even that much. Listen, we have countries who give to faith promise, and the culmination of their wealth is like a dollar. And it doesn't matter. The amount doesn't matter. What matters is that you're like, yes, I see that you're my sister over here, and I want to help you out. That we are a united, global Nazarene church. So that's the big way you can give. And if you want to take that a step further, you can go and serve. Now, when I say that, I don't mean you have to go out and be a missionary. Although, if you want to be a missionary, come talk to me. I'll give you the steps. I'll show you how to get there. There's need for everybody. If you don't think you can preach or teach, that's fine. I can't either, although I'm up here and people are like, you can preach just fine. But if you want to do something else, if you've got two arms and you can hug a child, you can be a missionary. So if you want to actually go, go, do it. But here's the thing. You are already on a mission field right here. There is plenty of people who are living in darkness, who are depressed, who can't live with themselves, who are just putting on a front thinking that they can just get through the day, they need that spark too. And that comes in through you. You know the story. 
You know the hope. When's the last time you got excited about it? I mean, I had to check myself on this too. When's the last time I got excited about the hope that's in Jesus? Because it really is relevant. Not only is God not dead, he's important. And people are seeking him, they just don't know what to call it. Through all this shifting abstract truth, they're finding something to stand on. And we know who to stand on. We know what that truth is. And it comes with the boldness of sitting on a bus and talking about Jesus. The boldness of coming alongside someone who is not a Christian and saying, I just want to be your friend until they're ready to hear the story. How many of you have friends who are not Christians, good friends, that you're with and around? Good. You should. If you don't have friends who are not Christians, you're doing something wrong. If your circle is only people who know Jesus, that's great, but there's a whole world out there that needs you. And being friends with them is the easiest way to do that. I don't mean go be friends with them and be like, I want to be your friend. Do you know about Jesus? That's not what I mean. I mean just being friends with them, investing in their lives. So when they're ready, you can be like, hey, I've got this hope here. Do you want to know about it? Does that make sense? You've got a job to do here. and You best be doing it because it's not optional. When God says to go forth and make disciples, he doesn't mean just the missionaries and the preachers. He means everybody. If you take on the name Christian, you take on that mission. So you can pray, give, and go. Those are the ways that you make an impact on people like Yana and people in your neighborhood. Lord, thank you so much for this awesome church in Medina. Lord, I'm so excited to get back here and to share with them what they have done on the field. God, I ask that you would give them courage and that you would give them peace and that you would give someone in their lives that they need to reach out to. And when they find that someone, Lord, I ask that you would just give them such wisdom and gentleness and kindness. Lord, I pray that you would send these people out to be a light here in this neighborhood. And I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.